Welcome to the sixth episode of From the Valley Podcast, Brisbane Business Life. My name is Tim Wilshire from Confidential Tax and Business Services. It's a Friday afternoon. It's coming to the end of the week, so another time for another podcast. I've got a very special guest uh, on the show today. Uh, his name is Di Gwyn Jones or David. Uh, David uh, works for a company called Portfolio Creative Services Group. Uh, he's very instrumental in uh, being the co-creator of the Valley Vision Project. So welcome along, welcome along, Di. Thank you very much, Tim. Great to be here. So do you prefer Di or David? Oh, Di. I'm, I'm always known as Di these days. Um, I yeah. think it's been a long time since I've been called David yeah. um, in business or in personal world. So. Okay, so, so thank you very much for being my guest on the show today. Uh, Di, um, now how I first met Di, obviously Di is on the uh, Valley Chamber of Commerce Executive Board. Um, so a bit about the Valley Chamber first, Di, if we can, just a little bit about your role getting into the uh, Valley Chamber of Commerce Board. So how long have you been associated with the Valley Chamber of Commerce for? I mean, been associated with the Chamber for about four years um, and um, about two and a half, three years ago. Um, I was asked to um, work on a sub-chamber, which is the Spring Hill Chamber of Commerce. And Spring Hill was going through a bit of a, um, uh, a bit of change at the time, and there was a neighbourhood plan in the offing. So it was very important and essential to get a, a business perspective on that. And um, obviously being based in Spring Hill, um, in Water Street, um, where my business is, um, I was keen to get involved and see how, um, how I could contribute. Um, and... Uh, and I suppose then it was just logical as the Spring Hill Chamber of Commerce and the Tenerife Chamber of Commerce were fully enfolded in, in into the um, Valley Chamber to um, to join the board of the Valley Chamber of Commerce and ho- uphold the interests in, in that area. Okay, so that's, that's how you sort of got involved with the Valley Chamber of Commerce. I guess going back to earlier life, Di, you, you weren't born in Australia, you were born overseas, whereabouts were you born? Well, um, obviously um, to some people listening to this podcast, a name like Di Gwyn Jones cannot be more Welsh. Um, yes, I'm from South Wales, um, and I grew up in the Welsh borders from a place called Chepstow and went to school at Monmouth, and um, yes, and um, as I said, spent my first, um, first 11 years there, went away to boarding school, and then, um, and then went off to university, um, studied... Um, Accountancy and economics at university, but um, so where did you do university? I went to Oxford Brookes University, and that's situated in in Oxford in the UK. In the UK, okay, yep. And um, I, um, yes, yeah, so I did my undergraduate degree, and really, but decided I wanted to do something a little bit more creative with my time. So, chose the advertising and marketing industry. Um, worked for a couple of years for a magazine in London called Marketing Week, which is like one of the marketing <laughs> major publications. And um, then got a job with an agency in London called Robinson Pinkerton Evans as an account, as an account coordinator. Um, I suppose pretty standard sort of first 25 years in that respect. Um, but um, then my life changed a little bit um, because I moved from the UK to work um, in an advertising agency in the Middle East in Kuwait. So I'd been, um, I was headhunted to join an agency over there. So I went from being a relatively junior account manager in an advertising agency in London to being a fairly senior account director in an agency in the Middle East in Kuwait. And you were, in, you were there for quite a while, weren't you? How many years were you in? I did four years in Kuwait. Wow. And um, a really interesting experience in life to do the expat thing. Mm. Um, I highly encourage people to do it, actually, because it, it's... Um, I suppose Kuwait was interesting. Kuwait was kind of would remind me of going to live in 
a country town like Roma. Because really? when you arrive, there aren't many people, um, as I say, yeah, not, you know, it'd be like, yeah, you find you have to join the golf club, you have to join the rugby club, you have to get involved in things, yep. and you meet your community. And I love, I love the experience over there. And expat life is good in some respects because um, it does let you save a fair bit of money and build for your future. So it's a really good step to make in that respect. But also it just gives you an understanding of different cultures and gives you a, um, and gives you a really interesting perspective on, um, on your strengths and weaknesses and the way you want to live your life. Certainly, from a, from a balanced point of view, knowing you know how different cultures works comes into an you know advantageous when it comes to doing business, especially in a multicultural place like Australia now. So you would have obviously got something out of that. I think so, and I think one of the things that probably working at advertising and marketing, which is really <coughs> important to do, is to have the ability to walk in other people's shoes, um, because. And quite frequently, the Middle East in particular was like that. I was very rarely in the target market for what I was selling. So I had to walk in the shoes of the, of the target market, whether it was for Land Rover cars or Gillette razors or, 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 or retail brands or anything else I worked on over there. It was really important to try and understand how people think and how people react, which really helps um, because I suppose if you're a big bloke like me that drives a four-wheel drive, it's quite easy for me to work out the selling points for a Toyota Land Cruiser, but it's a little bit more tricky to work out how to sell a Toyota Yaris to somebody who's 22 years old. Mm. So, but it helps to have that ability and to have learned that in a market like that. And it was interesting. It was an adventure. Um, really enjoyed my time over there. So what sort of age bracket of your life was that? So how old were you? sort of roughly 25, 26 to 30. <clears throat> yep. So I came to Australia um, partly because... Um, I wasn't, we weren't actually planning, my wife Julie is Australian, but we weren't actually planning on necessarily coming to Australia, um, but she was pregnant with our first child. Did you meet over in the UK or in Yeah, met in the UK, okay, and yep. she came to Kuwait and worked over there in finance as well. So, um, so, I, um, so we came back to Australia and um, my son was unexpectedly born 10 weeks prematurely because he had preeclampsia, and it was a bit touch and go. So... Um, I um, so we made a very rapid decision then that we were going to stay in Australia that we weren't really going to trust ourselves mm. to um, to the medical systems that are available um, overseas with a prematurely yep. born baby it was a, you know it was a risk which yep. we weren't prepared to take but I mean I love Australia I did the backpacking thing mm. when I was way back when I was twenty twenty one so I, I, I mean I, mm. I I loved Australia and um, and yes so I found <laughs> myself here but kind of in an unplanned way, so I had to sort of start off, and Brisbane was the logical stopping point as well. So Excellent. So just, just uh, with Kuwait, I mean, were you ever sort of worried about the, the war in the area, the, all of that sort of stuff whilst you were living there all that time? Well, it was in between the two Gulf Wars I was there, and it was, mm. um, it was, it was quite interesting. Um, I've got a newspaper um, um, cutting from the front page of the Rockhampton Morning Bulletin at home from my wife's hometown where um, CQ couple in Kuwait vigil and um, it was quite interesting because there were security squares while you were there, but really it meant just getting in the car and driving over the Saudi Arabian border. Yes. Well, me, I would have been able to do that, but my wife would have, of course, have had to have stopped at the Kuwaiti Saudi Arabian border, got out of a car and walked because women can't drive in Saudi Arabia. Mm. So, uh, but it was, um, yeah, there were risks involved, but um, I, 
I don't. I never really felt that threatened over there. Yeah. And there was a really close knit community. We had a really good community over yeah. there. And we went up to the. You know. I mean, while we were there, it's in between the two Gulf Wars. So Saddam Hussein was still in power in Iraq, but we went up to the Iraqi border and had a barbecue with the UN guys up there. It wasn't as if you were sort of scurrying around and hiding in the shadows. It was yeah, not no, like that at all. No, no. Obviously, it's the perception that you get from not being there. Um, you, you obviously read it on the news and you see, okay, well, the, you, these people are all in in trouble and, you know, in, in war and that sort of thing going on. And I just remember um, I took a flight which sort of went via Dubai to Copenhagen back in November 2016 and um, we're flying from Dubai to, to Copenhagen and uh, what happened was um, about an hour into that particular flight, um, there was somebody sick on board on the plane. They had to do a, a stop in Kuwait. Um, and my wife was with me and she was, I don't know, for whatever reason, she was shitting herself. <laughs> She's even though it's just that perception, you go, oh, what, what, I don't know, what, you know, what, what's going on? So it, it, it's, yeah, it's interesting. And I suppose um, it's an interesting consequence at the moment about how we regard risk and what mm. we actually regard as risky in our lives. Um, I think calculators risk is we all take whether that's professional risk or even sometimes personal risk by driving 10 or 15 kilometers over the speed limit every now and again yeah um, but it's just a balancing act mm. and I think sometimes um, sometimes the it's very easy to not be brave and as long as the risk is fairly minimal you've just got to get out and do it it's rather like watching your children climb a tree mm. uh, you can't turn around and say I'm sorry you can't climb a tree Mm. But it's very difficult if you sit there and watch every move when they are climbing that tree because you're nervous the whole time. Definitely. But they're probably not going to fall off. But if they are, you know, there's not much you can do about it. And you've just got to take those risks. And as, and as, as a parent now of an, an 18, nearly 18 and nearly 20-year-old boys, I mean, you've got to let them take a certain amount of risk. But you've just got to get a balance in that and not take unnecessary. Not to be unnecessary, but you've got to take those risks in life. So um, Brisbane being the town of choice, uh, when you move to Australia... Was there anything that set a, set us set uh, Brisbane apart from, say, Melbourne or Sydney? Obviously, we love Brisbane, and this this podcast is a bit about Brisbane business life. Uh, what do you what do you think are the things that really attracts attracted you to, to Brisbane? Um, I mean, it's easy to just say lifestyle, but actually, for anybody who lives in Brisbane, um, we know that the lifestyle here is, is is quite incredible. I went to Sydney yesterday and I had to go to um, a trade show at Moore Park. And um, even the traffic from the airport to Moore Park, which isn't even really in the city, was just dreadful. Mm. And even though we complain about the traffic in Brisbane, we've got issues and there are things we need to be aware of there. But nevertheless, um, I mean, I was a few minutes late today because I hadn't travelled up Gympie Road on a, on a Friday afternoon for it's a long time. It's pretty terrible, yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't that terrible, actually, if you compare it to Sydney. To, to, to the Sydney life. Yeah. I mean, you know, temperature-wise, it's beautiful here. Um, I'm a little bit of a wuss when it comes to um, temperature. I hate the cold weather now. After uh, Probably Kuwait did that to me. Having four years, really, without a winter, four or five years without a winter, I... Um, I now hate the cold, so mm. I'm very happy. I, I mean, as I say, I, I, I do not want it to get any colder than it does in Brisbane, and I, and I love the temperature here. But, but generally speaking, 
as a size city it is, and when you're trying to build a commercial business, it's actually quite a small city. So you can actually connect with people. You get to know people. You go out. You see people. It's very, it's it's, not as it big is as, very like a third degree separation from anybody, isn't it? Pretty much, um, and um, and it's a pretty welcoming city. I mean, I'm saying that Sydney's a welcoming city too, and Melbourne can be a bit tougher. But um, as an expatriate, I've, you know, I've always felt pretty relaxed and pretty um, pretty easy to connect in the city. Mm. So doing business in Brisbane. I mean, when you first came here, was it? Did you set up your business then, or did you, were you employed somewhere else before that started, or what actually happened there? It was quite interesting. Um, my, my first <coughs> role um, when I came to Brisbane was to work for a company called Colourcourt, which is just on the north side here in Stafford, which at the time um, had a big branded merchandise division and licensing division. So my first job was um, basically coming as an advertising suit and working partly as a, partly as an advertising person to sell. Um, um, product to the big clients, which was Lion Nathan and Bundaberg Rum and a few others of the branded merchandise they use, and secondly to take those licenses and sell them to the general market. So um, it gave me a very quick um, understanding of real Australians as opposed to um, a very CBD sort of approach to. Um, the people of Australia. So I've got an understanding of that and we had um, wholesale sales channels selling stubby coolers with Bundaberg rum bears on standing at your rail. It was quite fun and we did motor racing events, we were involved in a few of the motor racing um, teams as well. But that, So that licensing was really good for me and I really enjoyed that and that was the first job and I did that for about four or five years um, and then moved to um, the first time actually in my career I'd worked for a large corporate, which I went to work for a company which has changed names a couple of times now, but is um, but was known as Corporate Express at the time. And it was a $1.2 billion Australian company which sold a variety of things, um, but which was a largely office products, but also office furniture, IT hardware and soft hardware, um, and also had a print management business, just selling printed matter to large corporates and also promotional marketing division. So I ran both of those for Corporate Express for three or four years, and that was really interesting too. And I actually learned a lot of disciplines, which by working for a large company was really helpful to me. Um, and running a sales team, was, you know, I, I quite enjoyed. So I did that, and then I, 2007, I sort of bit, bit the bullet and said, you know what, I've had enough working for other people. So I decided to set up my own business just before the GFC. But ran through that for three years and ran a marketing management consultancy business, for want of a better word, for three years, um, using the skills I picked up in sales and marketing um, to um, to work with a number of different companies. And um, and then I met my business partner, um, Bernard, um, at Portfolio, and there was a partner at Portfolio, and the business has been going since 1989, and that partner wanted to leave and I wanted to join. so. I got involved and now own half a portfolio, which is a graphic design um, creative agency. Yeah, so how many people work at uh, Portfolio Creative? Um, it's about nine at the moment. So, so it's, nice small team. It's a small team and um, it's an interesting business because it's all businesses um, evolve, particularly in the creative space um, with the advent of digital marketing and the increase in business in digital marketing. You need to keep yourself young, you need to keep yourself vital. And you also need to keep yourself um, fully um, 
understanding of what's happening in in the creative and and marketing space. But I will say that I think for portfolio's perspective, it's very a very strategic approach. I mean, we tend to concentrate on business to business marketing, um, and in that space. Um, and also property marketing is the other area we specialize on and in that space there um, it's very much an understanding of the sales process and st- strategy involved whilst the creative is good and whilst the implementation of those campaigns and the building of websites and is important the actual strategy and understanding about what a business actually needs to do still needs to exist um, and it's very dangerous to to leap straight into design and, and implementation before you've really got your strategy right. And that's the same, I mean, we're seeing it in property mm. all the time at the moment where, um, but you, you see it in business to business as well. So it's really important to get that strategy right and to get, <coughs> and, and our business is founded on a, on a balance of power um, that we try to work with companies that we have a good balance of power with, that there's a good, mm. healthy, mutual respect mm. because to give people advice and to tell people the bum looks big in it, um, and tell them they're doing the wrong thing. Um, you need to have that that sort of balance. And we probably don't work so well when it's master and servant. And where somebody's, I use the word bitch, it doesn't work <laughs> quite. It, it doesn't work quite. It doesn't work as well. So for us, it's a matter of being really honest and really helping that business to sell the boxes they happen to be selling, and whether they're services, whether they're products, whether they're properties, wh- whatever they are, mm. we need that. That's we we need that sort of um, way of working, and I think the, it makes it a lot healthier. It makes yep. it a good relationship. It's a mm. partnership. It has to be a partnership in business mm. um, in order to to really be able to be honest, to not just say yes to everything and not just agree with. So your you and your current partner have been sort of nearly coming up to eight years, is it? Yeah, yeah. So that's it's. Um, I mean, obviously, I've been in a situation the last ten years where I've been obviously in business with um, you know one or two different uh, partners so being on on the same page is very important communication and understanding one another and allowing each other and having that trust with is is very very important it's not always easy I mean we see a lot of situations where you know people go into business together and it just becomes a disaster so um, you have to have the right the right mesh don't you I think you do and look I'm here as I say um, you know particularly business partnerships they're they are um, they are marriages, you know. In fact, and you have to sort of take the rough with the smooth. And some people are good at things, some things, and bad at other things, you know. They're mean, but there are plenty of couples out there that, you know, sort of one of them squeezes the toothpaste tube and leaves it all over the place, and one is very neat about it. But those relationships can still work. It's dogs definitely realise that there are other things that are, you know, really adding adding to yeah, long adding as to future together. Long as can, you can see the benefit of what the other person brings and what you you bring to the table and how that sort of balances. Um, I guess who, who are the sort of um, people that you've looked up to in your lifetime, whether it's uh, famous people, influential people, who are some of the people that have left a mark on and what made you where you are today? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I'm a great believer in courage. I think I'm a great believer in people who take risks. Um, and I don't mean that I'm a, I'm a reckless person and I condone being reckless, but I like people who, who take the plunge. I like people who back themselves. Um, I'm not... Um, I'm also great, but I'm also somebody that I don't think really idolises people. I'm not that sort of person. I, I know that even if the public face of some people is, is particularly wonderful, um, 
in their private in their private um, personalities, for want of a better word, there there are um, there's little. Um, yeah, as I say, we're all human. We all have strengths. We all have weaknesses. Um, I suppose you know. In my life, I've been influenced a lot. I was influenced a lot by my father. Yeah, most um, people are. Um, but I was also I've been mm. also influenced a lot by I had a had an uncle who was um, who died last year. Who's a very um, successful person in the electricity business. But he was he really taught me about asking open questions and really ask. You know, and and I think that's what I, I probably use in my business here. That in effect, that um, if you go to somebody for advice, that's in personal business, and you can. You can ask open questions. You don't actually need to give any advice. You just need to get people to sort of vocalise actually what they want to do. And I feel a great excitement out of doing that. Um, I suppose um, from a from a famous person, um, I'm not sure who I would say um, necessarily would would, would influence me mm. in, in a professional sense. I've read. I mean, I've read a fair few autobiographies and biographies. And, and whenever you read those sort of things, you can kind of see both sides. I mean, there's um, um, Richard Branson is you know losing my virginity, and a couple of other books that have come from there. But there's a there's a wonderful biography by a guy called Tom Bowyer, which is um, written about Richard Branson, which is telling the other side of that story. Yeah, which is actually quite a, quite interesting. So I think there's always a second side to everything. Yeah, no, that's that's really really. That's interesting. Um, what about uh, sports and stuff? Is there any particular sport and hobbies that you have follow that that uh, shape you? Well, look at me, Tim. Big and ugly. Uh, rugby's pro- rugby union's probably a sport which um, <laughs> which uh, go from there. You know, so, I, I played rugby and and, so, it's, and support Wales in the rugby union. Absolutely, absolutely. And look, I mean, yeah, I am from Wales, and so I suppose it's only really New Zealand, South Africa, and Wales are only three countries in the mm. world where it's the the, the national sport. So. Yeah. I've always been a real rugby fan. Played it from a from a very young age. Played at a reasonable level. You know, I'm not mm. a superstar, but so you sort of follow the British Lions when they tour and stuff like that. Or? Um, yes, I go to every British Lions tour. It's actually one of my things um, because I'm Welsh. Um, I don't have the confidence to say that they're going to win a rugby World Cup. So um, I say, you know what? I won't go to rugby World Cups, but I will go to the British Lions. And yep. I've still got a few buddies from the UK that I went to university with. And uh, we still go mm. together, and I've actually gone to the last six tours. So I'll be yep. off to South Africa in a couple of years' time yeah, to do that. And it's the British Lions. Just uh, touching on that, <coughs> just quite amazing the supporters that these guys have got. Um, uh, last year, when I was in in New Zealand, and they were doing the the tour in New Zealand, they were everywhere. Every pub you'd go to, there was just the British Lions. Did you go to New Zealand during that whole time? I did. I did. Go to, <laughs> I did go to, to New Zealand. And you know what's really interesting about that is actually is that. Um, the thing about being a, a supporter, and it's probably something where the probably here in Australia we can learn, because if your side isn't winning, it's even more important to support them than when they are winning. And they, were, um, they were so competitive too they, last year. With the, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I mean, I, 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 I sat next to a guy in the Sydney Test in 2013, who'd been. To seven British Lions matches over three tours, and never actually seen the British Lions the the Test matches, and actually seen them win. So he was zero from seven, and then he was finally saw one that, and he he was willing to travel across the world to do it. I think that, and you see it in AFL is a perfect example. There's a kind of support there where people still go if the side isn't going so well, and I think we're a little guilty up here that if the results aren't coming, we we're less likely to go. 
and I, yep. and, that, yep. you know, and and look, I'm, I'm not Fair saying call. that I'm Fair perfect call. myself at this. I mean, I, I probably go to less. I haven't been to as many um, um, Queensland Reds matches last year than I did the year before, but I think it's really, um, I think it's really important to support your side and, and and to be with them when they're going through the harder times, because it makes the better times so much sweeter. Yeah, definitely. No, it's 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 interesting. I just thought to bring that up and. I thought rugby might be what you're into, but you got to you got to know these things, I guess. Well, I only stopped playing about five, six years ago. So oh, really? I did play golden oldies. Oh, really? Which is, wow. um, which is it's, um, it seemed pretty hard when you're playing it, but then because they have unlimited substitutions, you go off and watch it. And it was is that the GPS thing? What's it? Is it yeah, the, I played with the GPS Golden Gallopers. Yeah, the Golden Gallopers. I mean, I know some people that have. Well, I do know one of my dad's neighbours was part of that. Alan Berryman I don't know if you're Alan, do you know Alan Berryman yeah yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> small world isn't yeah, it yeah it is and, and, and you know and there's, there, there, are, there are some crusty old buggers who sort of you know in their 60s sort of playing yeah but it, it I think that camaraderie is actually nice in life to sometimes and sporting teams like that are probably why things like the uh, GPS rugby works is that it is a level playing field yeah and barrister or bricklayer you're all on the same sort of level and it's quite nice to go to, to to sort of have that sort of yeah that sort of atmosphere yeah no that's uh, yeah in, in very interesting so i guess um one of the things i wanted to talk to you about in a bit of detail today i guess is the valley vision project so uh first of all uh guy how did you become sorry die how did you become involved uh in that project to begin with was it a vision that you sort of came up with or how did you with alistair layton or how yeah, did it, it, Yes, it did come from that. I suppose myself and Alistair and uh, Tony Gleeson, who's also quite essentially involved, came from a little bit of different different um, directions, but came to the same sort of point. Um, from my perspective, it was Spring Hill Chamber of Commerce and a neighbourhood plan coming out and trying to make sure that the right balance was put between the development community and the community. Yet, and actually, and I suppose this is an... In- inherent theme through the whole Valley Vision thing is to try and come up with some brave and slightly controversial ideas to try and generate um, some long term vision and thought um, but it was it was kind of like on one side of things I'd be going to see the local Greens candidate talking before the election about where the shade would be from a new building at the winter equinox on certain houses and then on the other other side there, I'd have developers saying, we want to do things here, but we are struggling because we can't get the approval to make things economic, so we can't bring the jobs and we can't improve. Spring Hill in particular is really interesting because it's a wonderful little suburb. And way back in the day when architects like Nell Robinson and, um, you know, tried to stop Joby Occupants and knocking down all those little houses and managed to stop it happening, it's got a wonderful sort of atmosphere there, yet, and it's right on the doorstep of the city. And yet, the it doesn't have a heart. It doesn't have a. It doesn't have a heart. It's got a lot of thoroughfares that go through it, and there are lovely little roads there. I hope to live in one of those little roads in one of those little Queenslanders once I get rid of my house and, and sort of trade down one day. But it's um, it, it's struggling, and it needs something to be famous for it needs something to make it work spring all does doesn't it yeah and um so it's kind of in between in, in between it's not another arthur and martha in many ways so but when you looked at the valley it was a similar it's a similar sort of thing because and i think when if, if you were at as you know i know you were at the um, valley vision presentation last month um there's been all these kind of little 
little flares of activity that are happening and some great activity happening, yet the those developments are not tied together. There's no there's no developers grouped together that group together to really work to work out a solution yeah. that so works for everybody. So they're all working independently. Yeah, so, Some of the developments. So, the needs, are better. so, so do you think um, with the cohesion part of it, the need, what you're what you're sort of looking at as far as a vision is making it more cohesive as a as a unit. Exactly. Or? I mean, because from in effect, a, a developer tries to get away with what they can. And developers are commercial business people. No, and if they can build a 15-storey building and they can put another five storeys on the top and they'll make a lot more money, of course they're going to want to do that. And some developers um, have, a, um, have a much better attitude and a much more forward-thinking attitude than others. There are some developments in the valley that have happened recently that aren't that pretty and aren't that nice. There are other ones that are sensational. But when you... Well, what do you think is a sensational one? Um, I, think, I think there's some bravery that has gone on. I think what David Mann has done with TC Burn building the old department TC Burney department store in the valley is really good the retail and space which will hopefully be activating pretty soon and the commercial space upside is really good particularly when the Chinatown mall and the and the um, and the Brunswick mall are um, fairly um, have been looking fairly tired um, I think the bravery of um, a number of developers including property solutions and um, and a few others down at um, James Street 15 years ago. I went to the Centro on James opening way back in 2000, one of the first events I probably went to around that area, and I'm seeing that area growing and I'm seeing the success in place. I think it's great what Lendlease have done at King Street. I think there's some really interesting things that they've yeah, done. People, people love what's, I mean, uh, King Street's getting certainly a lot of good feedback. But, but what's happening is, that all, I mean, and there are a number of other ones I could mention, but mm. what's happening with all those is they're developed kind of independently. Yeah. And, and I look at, I, I, I'm myself looking at the valley here, and when I, meeting Alistair and seeing the work he'd done with the Valley Safety Group and the Valley Transit Forum to try and work out what these solutions needed to be. And... I mean, the Valley train station, and I'm going into strategic, you know, yep. the ideas we put up on the night, but the Valley train station is, it's not what it should be. Um, and there's a lot of people who won't go through it at certain times. Not that necessarily that actually the crime figures have been that bad in the area. In fact, there's been very little crime actually at the Valley train station, but nevertheless, it's not, an, it's not a pleasant experience for people. And the guys from LaSalle's, you know, put together a, a fairly extensive plan to change that and I think it's going to be a really important link to the valley but it's only one of the projects if you look all the way back to the city um, there are so many things that need to be addressed for the future and Brisbane City Council has plans but the way that the development community therefore has has targets but the two of them to work together to actually make it for the best for everybody I don't think is working as well as it should so I mean I look at the train track the spine of the train track that goes through the valley and we're in inner city location and inner cities don't tend to have open train tracks no and um, not not in the middle of two train stations like that yeah but if you go and so the fundamentals that need to happen there and look I'm prepared and I think why as a Valley Chamber of Commerce member 
it's good to be able to comment as a Valley Chamber of Commerce member here, so we can be brave and we can look at business interests. We're seeing a lot of commercial businesses going into the into the Valley, and there's more planned. And after all, as this 21st century New World city of Brisbane grows, the Valley is going to be a core area where business is going to be, where commercial business and economy is going to be. As a residential area, there's going to be there's going to be more residential development there. Um, as a daytime economy, it's still finding its feet in some areas like James Street and, and Gasworks and King Street, but in other areas, it's it, it, it's taking time to get there. Um, but I tend to think that as we look forward now, we have to make some big decisions. We have to say mm. some things, and we have to get... Uh, and because you've got three levels of government yeah. to work together, which is tricky... And they're all, they're all sort of... Uh, you know, different. So you've got, you know, obviously you've got the state being one level of, you know, the, the Labor Party and National, obviously, at the moment it's the Liberal Party. And uh, obviously you've got the council, which is, you know, Graham Quirk. So. And look, and all of them do good things. It's not as if there's the, I mean, nobody in, in all three of those organisations, actually, there's always going to be a little bit of playing politics, but really... Um, the objectives of Grace Grace, the objectives of Vicky Howard, and the objectives of Trevor Evans aren't that different as the no. as the three politicians representing the valley. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, really. What about the? I get. <coughs> Di, what do you think about the um, with the sort of vision of the valley and uh, all the historical um, buildings there that are probably heritage listed and stuff like that? How are those sort of buildings going to sort of? What's going to happen to that? Do you think in the long term? Look, like the McWhirters and the. Um, I, I think things. Need, I mean, I think re, you know some buildings. I mean, I, I, I use an example here. I actually live in Red Hill, and mm, right up the yep. road from me is the um, the Red Hill Skate Arena. Yep. Which, as probably people know, burned down twenty years ago. I don't think. You know, I, actually, I don't remember it being actually being a skate arena. I, I think I even moved into Red Hill after it after it actually yep. burned down. But it was just left to rot. And finally, a developer's gone there. They've used the bones of it now. There's a plan to build a cinema there. It's all quite interesting. Um, but pretty much everything inside, even though we've still got some of the bones of that building, everything that was salvageable sort of disappeared yep. a couple of owners ago because it was just left open to the, you know, the, the beautiful floors that were in there and, and that sort of thing and just all gone. So really, at the end of the day, just keeping a couple of walls and a little bit of the facade, but it's just sort of going on from there. But that's happened, and and you're seeing it in other buildings in the valley now. There are a couple of buildings we know that are close to the train station at the moment that have been left in large dose disrepair, and there might be claimable things inside that that need to stay. Like Wordis is a beautiful building, but it's um, is it is it being used to its best purpose? No, Don't not at the so. moment. No. Um, and um, I will say at this point here that this is not a matter of gentrification don't think of the valley vision as just gentrifying the valley it's not about that because the valley's got a unique heritage it's got a unique culture and um, and some of those things could be celebrated should be celebrated but we also need to bear in mind how we can connect things together um, I mentioned these developments before to walk from the valley train station to King Street it's not a pleasant walk um, it's, it's difficult to do um, and to do well to to walk from James Street across to King Street or to the valley. Again, it's higgledy-piggledy. It's all over the place. 
it's just not it's not the way it is and uh, one of the things that Alistair said at, um, at, the, at the lunch which really resonated with me last month was it's like the city and the valley got the backs to each other well that's it's definitely the comment that that's sort of you know stuck out the most I guess uh, in I the whole presentation another, and I'd have to agree uh, I said I said on a um, another body called um, which used to be called the BDA Brisbane Development Association which mm. is going since 1958 but it's now um, known as BDA the Committee for Brisbane to give a little bit more emphasis on what the future of um, Brisbane, sh- Brisbane should be and we did a we did a um, an event on walkability and we asked people to vote on what was the worst walk in Brisbane and it was the walk from the valley to the city was actually what came out as the as the worst walk because it's not there's not a logical way to go um, Brisbane should be a walkable city should days be, like yeah. today sitting in beautiful 27 degrees 26 27 degrees here in, in Brisbane here we should be walking around this place so much more but people don't even think to do it people will get in a taxi on Oogle Street and they'll go to they'll go to Brunswick Street so that does need to be solved um, we've got a park centenary um, park which is not really used very much um, sitting in the middle there yep. we've, got all the, we've got so many things that we could do and look because the Valley Chamber of Commerce is generally in favour of commercial business, if somebody isn't using something, a resource, and they're holding on to something but it's not being used, let's get something in there that benefits the whole community. Mm. Let's get something here that brings jobs, that brings um, brings opportunity mm. and brings lifestyle <coughs> and brings money into the Valley. Let's do those sort of mm. things. Um, and that needs to happen. And I think there's a lot of... Um, I think everything everything's in place, and some of the things are really big ideas. And Tim, I I don't know. There's a fire station in the valley, just near the store, just near the Story Bridge. Um, and I said to somebody involved in politics once, "Well, is that fire station in the right spot?" And they, just, they visibly shuddered. And I said, "Well, I don't know. Who's asking that question?" And if everyone's avoiding it to think, oh, well, it's obvious, either it's obviously in the right spot or just nobody wants to go through the hassle of trying to relocate a fire station. Mm. But should it be in the right spot? Mm. We've got, and, you know, and actually, you know, are we, do we need to be brave and think of those things mm. and look at those ideas and having a, of course. a really robust plan for the valley? Definitely. But it also reaches for the stars. It's not, it's, it's, it's got to reach for the stars. It's got to have some, some great ideas. And look, we, we know we haven't got all the ideas and all the solutions but we keep suggesting them I, st- I don't know what the solutions are to the traffic issues I don't know what roads should be going through the valley what should be, what should be one way what should be two way mm. whether there needs to be any more tunnels or not what the main roads should be should it be Anne Street and Wickham should it be St Paul's should it be you know should it be McLaughlin and something else I mean how should people get around I'm not yeah. I'm, I'm still don't, I don't know what the solutions to that are but definitely an issue that a solution that needs to be found at, you know um, that's that's really good a couple of uh, things I guess one thing that I got out of the, the Valley Vision presentation was that the Valley should have its own memorable memorable sort of welcome so so look I'm here I'm in the Valley uh, is there what sort of is there any ideas that, that you think would work well for that I think, I think probably um, all of us, when when we have friends from outside of Brisbane who come to Brisbane, um, we are, you know they ask, "What should I do? Where should I go today? I'm staying with you for three days. Where should I go?" 
And there are some things that are quite logical that you can send people to see. And you go to Mount Kufa or you, you but like something. Like a bank. But why and where and how will we send people to the valley? Yes. Um, I believe that the valley's got enormous potential as a tourist spot. It's got enormous potential. And I think, in many ways, it has the potential to be at the heart of Brisbane. Mm. Because it is, it's got, it, you know, and it's not. It's not insurmountable to say that we can make things work a lot better, but if, if, if people here are going to come here as tourists, they need to be able to walk around. That's why South Bank works so well. You don't have to cross any roads. No. Um, I mean, I was at King Street this morning for breakfast, and I looked across, and there's Green Square opposite, mm-hmm. and it was meant to be that King Street and Green Square connect, but you've got to go back up to the Jubilee to cross the road to go there. So all these people... Now, actually, these days, they've just closed it off because there's some road work being done. Yes. But... It's just like people are jaywalking everywhere around the valley because just yeah. the, the stops in the wrong spot. And I'm not saying, it, I'm not saying I'm not blaming council for that. It's it's not about that. It's about saying, well, how do you walk from this place to that? How do you make these things really happen? And if you get to bring a walkable, attractive city that links together, that gives you destinations to go to, that um, that allows us to have. And it's not just shopping, it's, mm. it's restaurants as well. It's sitting outside eating. Mm. Um, we're a temperate climate, we should do it a lot more. Mm. And we've already got a river going through Brisbane that's only got three or four places you could actually sit and look at the river and eat, mm. it, which is shocking in itself. Yeah. But, um, but I think that there's, there's great opportunities for tourism and I really believe that'll be a, a core building block for us to establish a brand for the valley and to say, when you go to Brisbane, mm. you go to this place. Mm. This is the place you go. This is one of the two or three things on your list. And this is what you do there. You've got to get memorable things and interesting things to do in those places. Definitely. Um, I had, a, had a, podca- uh, a guest on my podcast last week who uh, is a bit of a technology sort of guy, a bit of a tech guy. His name was Billy Kirkley. And um, uh, we are talking a bit about driverless cars. I mean, the way the sort of valley and the city are built, do you think it's – and from what you know, from what you've spoken to the council, is that something that um, – they've got in their plans at the moment that it's going to be a driverless cars in the future oh, look, I think we have to be um, realistic but on the same side there we have to embrace um, I don't know when the date I mean when the dates for actual driverless cars are really going to be in place and in a country like Australia which has got a real motoring heritage in that because it's such a bloody big place that people tend to drive a lot more. They do. Um, and to get people out of the habit of using a car takes time and effort. Yeah, and, and we haven't done very well at it. We've tried to do these transport-orientated hubs sort of around and people to drive to Chermside then bus it into the city, but people aren't really doing it. No, in, Gar- Bri- in Brisbane there's still a lot of driving going along really unless they're sort of coming into the city to... And that park to, and yeah. ride sort of thing yeah. is not really... Um, something that's done very often that motorway that goes up and down from the Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast oh. and a lot of people are using that and uh, people are commuting in from you know, from massive distances to get into the city but as a, so I think that whilst we need to be prepared for that I don't actually envisage Australia being as as, as market leading on in a the, worldwide scale yep. because if you go to cities like London where it's very feasible yep. to do that and inner city dwellers and people in the valley, it's, it's pretty feasible now. There's a lot, there's a, there's developments out there that don't have car parking spaces on purpose, mm. and encourage people to to car share or to and, and as driverless cars come along, that will happen. 
but I think we have to be realistic about when that will happen and how we can plan for it is it shouldn't be our prime objective at the moment because I tend to think that that process is probably going to be longer mm. it will just take us longer to have that change and changes can happen very quickly I mean and I know that you know I don't know how much money you've got in your wallet I've got none in my wallet and I, I, I don't seem from week to week to have any money at the moment because I'm using my card for just about everything mm. so you know we've changed very quickly to that and that hasn't been hasn't been that long since you know since since that would have been um, that would have been a very revolutionary thought so I, I can see things changing but I think it's going to take time and I think particularly in Australia it's going to take time mm. and we have to be aware of that and we have to and look the way that roads can be repurposed and there are some people looking at interesting projects to repurpose roads um, in the valley um, the other end of Brunswick Street there around um, around the Judith Wright there's some work there with some local developers getting together and sort of looking to how they can increase, you know, improve the streetscape and maybe give it a little bit more pavement and bring a little bit more personality. And that will come. But I think we have to be realistic that we have to be... I don't think we should be trying to drive that revolution. And we saw it with the bikes in Brisbane. It's, um, you know, we should have done that better. Um, and yet people have not taken that up. Mm. And, not, um, not big enough, no. And so, if you people can't take the bikes up, and it's simple and easy, and, and solution that goes with that, we have to be aware that driverless mm. cars will take a while. Mm. So, onto the Valley Chamber of Commerce. Um, obviously, your involvement in that. It's to me the reason I joined. It's very. It's a, seems like a very vibrant um, chamber of commerce. Uh, we the way they network with the meet and mingles. You know, it, do, it does seem to be an enjoyable thing. Uh, you get to meet quite a lot of people. I've had a lot of meetings with people like yourself. Uh, teeing up different meetings and meeting other people and getting business out of it. Uh, where do you see the Valley Chamber going in the future? And and obviously, you, do you see yourself involved in this journey for quite a few years? Um, yeah, I mean, I think um, I think the Valley Chamber of Commerce can be regarded as a little different as some other chambers of commerce. Some other chambers of commerce are very much here's your name label meet people, shake as many hands as possible, talk business, talk business, and then smile and dial the next morning to try and make some business out of it. Um, I think the Valley does it quite well because it's actually, business is much more likely to happen if you know somebody than if you don't know somebody. So actually using the Valley as a way of actually getting some like-minded people and getting to know them, it's quite logical and easy to, um, to, um, to therefore do business with them, so I think it's good. Um, I think the advocacy of the valley um, is an area where um, I'm using that word brave again but the valley chamber of commerce will need to continue to be and increasingly be be brave to actually fight for the interests of business and actually on a political level um, to support and work with Brisbane City Council predominantly but also the state government as well to um, you know to increase, to, to improve the business um, opportunities and environment of the Valley and the, ci- and the city. And we've got to remember as well that because we're called the Valley Chamber of Commerce, um, there's a Valley orientation to it, but we actually represent the Brisbane city as well. And I yep. believe we've only just scratched the surface on the Brisbane city and the opportunities um, to be uh, another um, organization which can really deliver 
benefits to business and growth to Brisbane City. Mm. And I think that's probably the long-term thing that will need to be um, to be, need to be addressed and looked at is actually growing the city because, and actually, um, yeah, there's so many things that are happening in the city which are really quite different to what's happening in a, in our in the valley. And the valley vision, and the valley anyway, it's not just the valley as you know. It's Bowen Hills, it's Tenerife, it's Spring Hill. Um, it, it's 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 the area. It's New Farm. It's mm. but it's also Brisbane City. And I think there's some real opportunities there, which over time I think we'll get that there'll be more opportunity to um, you know to, to bring out. And I, I, I want to be on that journey to do that. No, that's really good. Uh, I'm glad you're on the journey. I think uh, you're certainly a strong part of the executive board that, that's uh, that uh, represents the Valley Chamber of Commerce. I think. They seem to have a fairly good way of dealing with things. I'm, I'm looking forward to the to the new website coming out soon. Uh, what they've got coming up at the moment, uh, there's a meet and mingle obviously next uh, week. At Welcome to Bowen Hills uh, on Thursday, August the 30th. Um, then there's on the 3rd of September on the Monday, we've got the Q Music and C Deck presenting the uh, launch of the Big Sound 2018. Have you ever been to Big Sound before? I haven't. I haven't. I must admit that I'm not anymore. Crikey, I sound like an old fogey. <laughs> uh, but a, a, a festival sort of person. No. Although I did it in my youth, but I, I, I haven't been so much. So I'm quite looking forward to it. I think there's quite a <coughs> it's quite an interesting um, take to this because the way we're supporting uh, uh, women in music and really promoting that. Well, as that's well. really good. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm going to that on Monday. You'll probably be there for Monday. Yeah. Uh, Monday week, um, and then I'm going to obviously going to to see some of the acts on yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So it should be should be quite good. Um, very. It's a very busy time for Brisbane. We've got the Brisbane Festival. That's yeah, Brisbane Festival starts just, yeah, that weekend. You know, the eight for whatever it is, yeah. all the way to the end of the month. So there's an enormous amount of activity. You've going got on um, the River Stage. You've got acts there as well afterwards, and you've got act at the end. So it's it's quite a long festival type. Yeah, thing there's as a well. lot of and, and interesting people, um, interesting people on that. So, yeah, I see some, I, I, as I say, some great things happening. And, and I will mention the business festival, which is going on. Yes, yeah, so uh, that was coming up. Uh, yeah, twenty first of September, uh, two o'clock in the. It's a Friday, I believe. So two o'clock in the afternoon to seven. Uh, two different price points: is five fifty or seven fifty, uh, if you want to promote your business. Um, uh, to to everyone along King Street, it's a great place for it. Lend lease have allowed uh, some land uh, for this, and, and it does look like a very good setup, and could be quite good value for money as well. But it looks like it's going to be not so much an expo or anything like that. It's going to be more of a bit of an interactive festival. So uh, I, I think I, 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 yes, I agree, and I think one of the things with and I'll take my hat off to Murray for his driving behind this to turn this into something which is different and as I mentioned earlier the Valley Chamber of Commerce actually um, promotes a vibrancy yep. and, it, and, and a connectability Yes, and I think mm. that we could do like we've done in the past and do an expo and take a, a big room in a hotel and we can have 25 trestle tables up there or 50 trestle tables and businesses in there talking about it and people walking around and finding out things. Mm. But by, by by turning it into something different, turning it into something which is more um, holistic, because what a Chamber of Commerce needs to do, it needs to get people involved in the business community. It's not just about what can I get out of this. If you turn up to everything saying, what can I get out of this today? Will I make any sales out of this today? No, well, I won't go. Mm. 
Mm. It's not actually about that. It's no, how it's can different. I help build my business for the long term? How can I build my connections? How can I, how can I give, mm. um, build my whole business persona um, into a stronger position? And I think that by, 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 by making it a little bit larger and wider and getting people involved, it'll be really, um, really interesting because it'll really bring business together. And I think that, you know, I mean, in the Valley Chamber of Commerce, yeah, there's business that I've got out of it by being a member of the Chamber of Commerce, like business I've got out from being on the Committee for Brisbane, like business I got out when I was on the, I was on the Variety Children's Charity Board a few years ago. Um, I've got, you know, a number of different organisations and things I'm involved in, and, and yes, sometimes business comes from that, but it's not a matter of being, a, it's a consequence of being involved and being active and, um, and it bring you know, and, and talking to people because if you talk to somebody about their business and give them tips and mm. hints, mm. Um, in my business, the first five cups of coffee are free, really. Yeah, no, yeah, I think it, I, it's I, not. It's not. It's not. That's when not when you make your money. It's, no, that's right. I mean, we talk about this with some of the other guests on the sh- on on this show that you know networking is what it's all about. Um, you can't. Yeah, it's it's, and, and it will lead. You know, it's just a matter of. It, Sometimes it's a matter of when, you know, whether it's now, whether it's in the future, you're going to get something out of what, what's just happening, you know, when you are networking. So, um, and that's why people enjoy it, and that's why people like sort of finding out a bit. And that's that's why Brisbane becomes such a small place too for people like me and yourself. Mm. Um, it's been uh, it's certainly been great to have you on the show today, um, Di. I think we might wrap up shortly, but. Uh, Anything sort of further you wanted to sort of say about the Valley Vision or the Valley Chamber of Commerce or anything that you'd like to sort of plug while you've got a chance? Oh, um, I suppose, um, look, I'd say to anybody that it's important in life to, to give as well as take. And in order to take, you've got to give sometimes. You have to give, and whatever part of your personal business life that is, you have to do both. Um, the Valley Vision is a matter of giving first um, and for me, me being involved in something like this, of course I'm going to have some business interests, I've got an advertising design agent that does a lot of property work, being centrally involved in this probably does me no harm by being involved but it's also important to not just do it for that reason do it because it's right and give because it's the right thing to do um, there are so I, I'm a great believer that things like the Valley Vision and um, and through my work in the committee um, for Brisbane the BDA that there are lots of opportunities in that space to really create things and come up with solutions. Um, there are so many things that need to be done in this city. We still really need to get our river sorted. We still do not utilise this river that goes right through our city at the moment, um, and I think that's a travesty. Mm. Um, it's going to be great to go to Hammersmith Wharfs in three or four months' time and have a drink and look back at the city because there aren't many places you can actually look at our city and see it in its in its splendour in this in, in this in this town at, at dusk. Um, I think there's great. Um, I encourage people to get involved. I encourage people to get involved in the Chamber of Commerce and whether that's the Valley in the city in the Valley or or it's in other chambers of commerce. I encourage people to get involved. I encourage people to get involved in charities. Mm. I encourage people to to get out and get, you know, as I say, networking for some people is easier than for others. Some people find it easy, some people find it difficult. But um, get involved, do something, and your networking sort of taking part care of itself. 
Um, and um, look, I'm privileged to have the opportunities I do have. Um, and I, you know, as I say, appreciate all the support from the other members of the Valley Chamber Board and from my other business associates to do what I do. And um, look, yeah, as I say, the future's bright. There's good opportunity out there. We've had a lot of years ago growth in Queensland. Um, and I can't see any reason why it won't continue. And because the fundamentals and the business fundamentals are right for this part of the world. This is absolutely the best place to live. I highly believe it. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else mm-hmm. than in this city. So, um, and I think that you'll, we'll see a growth and we've just got to make sure we're all fighting in the same direction, that we're all kind of doing the right thing. We're all looking after the people less fortunate than ourselves. We're, we're building building things for the future we're being adaptable we're having the lifestyles we want we've got the green space we want we've got the parks we've got the we've got the health and fitness opportunities to take it forward and that's up to everyone to sort of contribute to that Mm. so um yeah i'm very glad to be involved in that uh, both from you know both on the personal level from the valley chambers level and from other levels too Mm. And we've got a new Prime Minister here today. <laughs> yes, we have. That's Don't crazy. Don't things change. Don't things change. It's, um, oh, look, it's not a, probably a good look to keep having this here. And I suppose no. right from right from Johnny Howard losing in 2007, we've, um, we've had some ups and downs in our political life, which we're probably not proud of. Mm. And um, I'm just amazed that... Um, I'm just amazed that it's just so painful to watch. Yeah. That and it's all the dirty washing has been done outside. You don't expect that to be the case, and mostly in politics it isn't. But Australia in the last ten years has very much, and it's been the same in the Labour Party, you know, as well. So yeah, both parties. I like they could I mean, you know, Scott Morrison, who spoke to the Valley Chamber of Commerce as treasurer, just over, yeah, just over a, a year ago. I had a selfie with Scomo that day. I remember. So, I mean, look. As I say, he's a very smart guy. I heard him speak this year as well at another function after the budget. Look, he's a very smart guy. He gets it. Um, and it's going to be very... I suppose, if anything you could say about it, it's going to be interesting. So on that note, I guess, um, that's the podcast for today. Thank you very much for coming along, Di. It's uh, been a pleasure. I really appreciate you coming all the way out to Kedron uh, to do this. Uh, obviously, we're from the Valley, so we're a bit away from the Valley today, but Thank you very much and look forward to catching up with you next week. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Tim. Thank you, mate.